Hello and welcome to episode six of the Principle of Moments podcast. And in this edition, I'm joined by Director of Hanover Fox, Charles Cornwell, as we discuss the relevance of previous experience in job application, both from a company view and a recruiter perspective. Now, just a reminder, if you missed any of the previous editions of the podcast, you can catch up via all of the streaming platforms, including iTunes and Acast, as well as finding them at the website www.hanoverfox.com. So back to today. And in this edition, Charles Cornwell is our guest as we discuss the relevance of experience. It seems that this is more than just a lively debate here, because the more that you research the subject, the more you find we have two sides with diametrically opposing views. If you are an employer, experience is a prerequisite. If you are in the position of recruiter, in simple terms, it isn't. I mean, clearly, there needs to be a starting point um, in terms of past performance. It's uh, an indicator of success, of potential skills, but it's about understanding what's needed for the organisation, where are they looking to go, what can that company achieve, and therefore bringing someone with a level of experience in those areas clearly makes sense. Whose job is it to actually change this approach? I mean, should companies be looking to change their own views and opinions from within? Or is this your job to actually come in and advise them that they need to change their behaviour and uh, look at a more uh, universal view? I think it's clearly a case-by-case scenario, Tim. There are certain areas within regulated sectors where you you have necessary skill sets. However, it's our job as consultants to come in and challenge the, the, the understanding of the client and challenge those expectations when they're looking to hire and then maintain that pressure throughout the process as well. So when we come back to look at shortlist candidates, really hold the client to task to say, do you, do you remember the conversations that we had? about bringing new skill sets into the organisations rather than retreating back to type and and recruiting maybe in their own image or those safer candidates purely from their own organisation. But if you allow the client to really just recruit what they have internally, we're not doing our role in terms of developing and uh, increasing the diversity within their senior leadership team. A, a quote that I saw on more than one occasion when I was uh, researching this this topic, uh, judge the future by looking at the past. How relevant uh, is that today? Clearly, it's a, it's a starting point, but you have to take each candidate on their own merits. Sometimes it's very difficult to assess how much input and individuals had within an organisation. I had exactly this conversation with a client this week. When someone states on their CV, due to my actions, profitability went up by 10%. It's sometimes very difficult to make that link uh, as, as a direct correlation. And so you interview the candidate, their skill sets they can bring to that organisation, 
purely on the merits of that that individual rather than relying on uh, stated fact. Times have changed actually dramatically over the last four decades or so. From the end of the war until the mid to late 1970s, 90% of roles that uh, came up were filled from within companies. Today, it's under 32%. Apart from the obvious reasons, why do you think companies now just look less within and more to the outside? Clearly, succession planning is critical to any organization especially through growth periods whenever we're brought into rapidly expanding companies where succession planning has maybe stalled or failed it's due to the speed of growth of that organization not really being matched by the potential of their senior leadership team and therefore they have to look outside so for instance where a company starts at a 20 million turnover business uh They've exceeded that already, turned over £40 million, but their expectations are to to grow to a £100 turnover organisation. Clearly, some of their senior leaders aren't going to be capable of of continuing that journey, and that's where you need to recruit outside. However, if you can, succession planning is is a fantastic message to send throughout your organisation to say, look, we will shape, coach, and, and improve you as, as leaders, as, as business people. And therefore, if a company can do that, all well and good. But again, our role is to provide new skills into that organisation. It's funny because when I was talking to Phil de Glanville in a previous episode of this podcast, and we were talking about sport and the role of sport and management, sport in particular as an industry is an area where succession planning is looked upon extremely favourably. Highly relevant, of course, at the moment. Gareth Southgate, who began coaching with the youth, uh, with the England youth, the under-21s, etc., got to know his players, bringing players through uh, into the senior team, getting to know them from a very early age. It's funny how it works in some areas, but it's less likely to work in others. Yeah, absolutely. Clearly, if, if you understand your workforce, you've worked with them and, as I say, developed them, and you've got that full 360 uh, succession plan in place, that's that's perfect. However, for companies to grow at uh, the optimum rate, sometimes you need to look outside. There are many studies in this particular uh, aspect of planning that reveal uh, very interesting findings, uh, one in particular, uh, it was a Florida State Bank of America professor of business management and research. And they did a, a very extensive piece of research where they came to the conclusion that screening job applicants on previous job experience is simply a mistake. It's not a good indicator of how they're going to fit into a new company um, and in most cases, there is no relationship whatsoever. Now, that was done over a five-year research period where they looked into 80-plus workplace studies over 60 years. Uh, a really interesting finding. Absolutely. I think you can't underestimate the, the personality, the values of an individual rather than purely their, their track record. And that's why it's critical that you have an in-depth interview with an individual 
Um, I look at it like a, the layers of an onion. Skills on the outside of the, the onion can be bolted on very, very quickly. Knowledge, even more so. However, the core value, the personality, the, what drives that individual is absolutely critical to uh, finding that cultural fit within that organisation and therefore I think that the, the longer term success of that individual. It's funny because they did conclude, however, uh, that the relationship between experience and a successful hire looked reasonably good at three months, but then it declined over time. Mm. Well, three months is, is uh, a snapshot in terms of a career. And I think that just demonstrates that an individual has that sector knowledge um, and and you're not really getting to the, the crux of that individual. We always say that it's it's probably that 18 month period when your your results actually start to come through and actually have an impact on the business. The other surprising element that I found out here was that only about a third of CEOs, this didn't include CEOs in the UK, by the way, uh, reported that they monitor whether their hiring practices equal the acquisition of good employees. Why do you think that is the case and why it is so low that after going through a process, spending such a lot of money, they then just sort of turn away and let it get on with life? Absolutely. No, that is a, that is a surprise. Having invested in the whole recruitment process and invested in, in bringing new talent into an organisation, I think more forward planning or forward thinking organisations are moving away from the traditional hiring HR function to talent development where they can track and develop individuals through fast track career development, uh, ongoing training development and a, a greater involvement of that senior leadership coaching and development. Now, we can't actually have a conversation about uh, anything these days without tech becoming quite a prominent subject for discussion. So what potential is there, do you think, for using AI uh, for predictive talent acquisition? I think at a senior level, that's still some, some way off. For volume recruitment, where you're sifting through thousands of, of applications, AI as an initial screen can possibly help. However, for executive search, you can't beat an in-depth face-to-face interview where you're very much getting into the cultural fit as well as skills and uh, something that people can maybe place on a CV. Um, As we move forward in a digital arena, some companies are going down the route of video applications, but still, I think uh, investment in senior people requires a, a, a human interaction, let's say, Tim. IBM Smarter Workforce Institute produced their own study not that long ago, concluding that on average, 39% of recent hires would not be rehired. Does that tell you anything? It tells me they're, they're obviously not hiring via Hanover Fox, Tim. <laughs> well, I set that up beautifully for you. <laughs> uh, looking at what methods then should be used, 
Yeah, and I was looking at a, another study. This was from a highly regarded American psychology professor by the name of, uh, of Franklin Schmidt. Now, he concluded uh, that job experience alone predicts a job performance with 16% accuracy, a combination of cognitive ability and personality uh, produces a 78% accuracy. Again, something that if you put in front of a potential employee who is recruiting, surely they can't hide away from those statistics. Absolutely. Uh, again, talking to a client this week about the level of skills and transferable skills from a senior perspective, we came to the conclusion that actually most individuals who uh, are capable and have a good track record within industry should be able to be parachuted into pretty much any organization and be successful. The key to this though is, is finding those individuals whose personality and uh, abilities match the culture of the organization. And it's that cultural fit and personality fit that actually makes the real difference rather than, as you say, bringing in someone purely from a competitor doing exactly the same job and hoping that they'll fit. So if you were putting this together on a list, companies should look more toward personality, what actually motivates them, cognitive ability, mental agility, general aptitude, and perhaps overlooked, but equally as important, do they actually fit the culture of the company? Absolutely. That's the long-term uh, key to the recruitment piece. As I say, Specific skills and knowledge, specific skills and knowledge can be learnt. However, ensuring that someone uh, is, is successful within an environment is down to that cultural mesh. But here's the problem, though, at the moment. So much talent is out on the market. Uh, there's so many jobs out there. Isn't a situation going to still exist where the first CVs to get literally cast aside are the ones without previous experience. I think it's it's sometimes very difficult to engage with every single applicant if there is absolutely no correlation between what individuals have done in the past and what you're looking for, especially when a company's employing someone like us to do that first sift. However, it's our role to try and give us wider choice to the client as possible and ensure that they they have the courage to make sometimes those those very difficult decisions about uh, moving away from someone with that experience in your position then you have it seems two options you can give the client what they want and everybody's happy, or you can re-educate them. Why would you or the industry that you're in opt for a more difficult approach and basically more work? I think we have to challenge the client, and this is what we do in providing a diverse shortlist for clients, and then, again, reassessing exactly what's required for that organization otherwise they won't move on and 
competitors will start to steal a march. It's about understanding you know, disruptive technology and bringing new ideas, new levels of thinking, and, and that uh, diversity of, of cognitive thinking into an organisation rather than just replacing like for like. Let's not forget here as well the potential employee because they will ask themselves when they're looking at a vacancy the same question. Shall I even bother to apply because it says I need experience when if they actually did apply there's a potential that they would be suitable uh, because of this new approach that you're adopting in trying to re-educate employers. So how do you get the message across to the applicants to apply? I think there's been a fundamental change in how one approaches either individuals through a, a search process or when advertising a specific vacancy. Gone are the days where there's a, a 15 bullet point list of you must have, you must have, you must have. What we're looking to do is attract the right talent into an organisation. And so it's about highlighting the areas of, of the organisation, the flexibility and why that individual should apply in the first place. Our role then is, is to sort the wheat from the chaff to those that are capable of doing that role. But we need to encourage and enthuse those individuals to join in the first place. If you had to talk to somebody who was embarking on their working life, what would you uh, recommend to them in particular? If you, if you said, look, you can go off and you can become, you can study to become an accountant, you can be an accountant for the rest of your life. So would you opt for being a specialist or to succeed in this particular day is it more preferable to be something of a generalist? I think it's, it's whether or not you want a profession or a career. The specialist sticks within that, uh, that profession, whereas the generalist can often have a much more exciting and challenging career. Um, those, those transferable skills that we've talked about already become much more valuable as you progress through an organisation and give you that ability to, to change career. And I think as we, as we move forward, digital workplace um, and, and changes of, of specific skills across most sectors, that will give you a much more dynamic and challenging career in the long term. So I would, I would always recommend that individuals very much go down that, that sort of generalist route and, and uh, agile and fleet of foot in their career. Now, before we conclude this podcast, I wanted to bring in a book by a guy called David Epstein called Range, How Generalists Triumph in a Specialised World. Now, this book looks in depth at why being a generalist is preferable to specialising. And they looked at every walk of life from business to sports people looking at various approaches, the 10,000-hour rule, tiger parenting, uh, to find out if generalists do succeed over specialists. Lots of examples here. I'll begin just by mentioning two uh, who adopted different approaches. One was a child who, aged three, entered an under-10s uh, golf tournament 
uh, and won it. And from that moment on, his father took control and put him through this rigorous, continuous programme until he reached his objective. Now, that was Tiger Woods. The other was a tale of a mother who was a tennis coach. She never coached her son. He was left to his own devices. He played every sport he could. Didn't matter as long as it uh, was said to have a ball. Before aged 14, he decided, well, I'm going to go for tennis. And he did. And uh, he went on to... A marginal success, I suppose you could call it. Uh, Roger Federer was his name. So you've got two choices there, two opposing choices, uh, both of them leading to success. But it is an interesting topic and an interesting discussion on whether you should aim to specialise or be a generalist. Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. And interesting, you mentioned tiger parenting. Um, Again, recently conversation with with clients we were talking about the the push for academia becoming less and less relevant in today's workplace so looking at oxbridge candidates for instance where their entire university career is is aimed at academia they have very little time even during um, holiday periods etc to to maybe get a summer job uh, because all they're doing is is focusing on uh, studying etc and what happens is they come out of that degree with a lack of life skills, whereas potentially someone who potentially doesn't go to university but takes up an apprenticeship actually gains a much wider skill set. And so, again, coming back to the specialist or generalist, they actually get a, a, a head start in terms of their career. And that's moving away from maybe our thinking of five, ten years ago where you you had to go to university, study, you get a first and actually, yeah, you're then set for life in terms of the career. So it's it's an interesting tipping point, I think, in terms of industry. was Charles Cornwell, director of Hanover Fox. Now, if you have any comments or questions relating to today's or any of the previous podcasts, then do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. And remember as well, you can subscribe to the podcast by just clicking the subscribe button on iTunes or Acast, and each new episode will be delivered straight to you. Well, that is it for this month. Thanks for tuning in. We look forward to welcoming you back for the next edition of the podcast. Until then, from me, Tim Cable, goodbye for now.